go ahead and take a seat. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome, and you're in the room. Thank you for being here. It is our last week of our Advent series. If you're new to Christianity or you haven't been around maybe a more liturgical church, which we are not, um, we just decided we're going to do an Advent series this year. Advent literally means the awaiting or the anticipation of the arrival of our King. So on Friday, we won't celebrate Advent. We will celebrate the arrival of our King. So today, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, it's a story that many of us don't look at very often. It's one that, if you're in a Protestant church, doesn't get taught on very often, but we're going to look at Mary's song, all right? As we look at that, today I want to wrap up our series by showing you what exactly the Christmas story is again and how we should respond to it, all right? That's, that's the key today, what the Christmas story is and how should we respond to it. You know, one of the things I love most about Christmas is... Christmas songs. Um, now, I'm not talking like the Caleb Christmas songs that come on and they're just, th those are not, th I'm talking about the ones with like such deep theology that you need a dictionary to understand what's going on in them. The, the richness of some of the Christmas songs that we sing are just incredible and I love it. Now, there are bad Christmas songs too, right? I mean, we've all heard them. Like, what the heck is Christmas shoes? The only thing worse than Christmas shoes is Sarah McLaughlin trying to sell you a puppy on TV. All right, I, or, or this one might be the worst. Mary, did you know? I'm like, did you ever read the Bible? I think she knew. And then I was reminded this week by Jim that no, probably a second to grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Okay, I conceded that. But Mary did know. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what I call Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is all about Mary's anticipation of her king. Now, by the way, before we get there, because today I want to address the skeptic in the room a little bit, if you're anything like me and you know something about the Bible, you might be thinking, how did this even get in the Bible? Luke wasn't an apostle. He probably wasn't around when Jesus was born, and yet we see in Luke chapter 1, Mary's song. If you go back and you flip in your Bible one page to the very beginning, Luke tells you exactly how it got in the Bible. This is quite interesting and really cool. Luke tells you that he wrote the book of Luke to a guy named Theophilus, to give him an orderly account, an eyewitness account of what happened to Jesus. That key word there is eyewitness. Historians will tell us that Luke, probably in his older age, sat down with Mary and wrote down her events of what happened with Jesus' birth. Which is why the Gospel of Luke centers on Jesus' story through the eyes of Mary. Matthew is through the eyes of Joseph. It's really cool whenever you look at it that way. So the reason why I tell you that is because you're not just reading some fable. You're actually reading the eyewitness account of the mother of Jesus herself. The words that you have here, based on most historians, is actually historically valid. What you're going to see today is something quite beautiful, and it's going to tell you something amazing about Jesus. So if the last two years have been challenging, and I know for many of you, you walk into this room and Christmas isn't as joyful as it has been in the past. Maybe the last two years, you've lost family members or you had a miscarriage or you are in a valley of despair or you lost a job or whatever the case might be and you need, you need a Christmas miracle. What I hope that you see today is not that just Christmas is valid, but it actually is hope for your life. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to what the angel says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that detail is important there because Nazareth is where Jesus was from, but it's not where he was born. Nazareth is about 80 miles from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, by the way. So get this, God was moving this poor family from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecies about the coming Messiah that was made a thou thousands of years ago. That, that's really cool. Look at verse 27. And the virgin betrothed, or to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, the, we don't really use this language in today's world, but that word betrothed, I want to explain to you a little bit about what it means because it's more than an engagement. If you ever have been in church for any time, you've probably heard that Mary and Joseph were engaged. It's actually more than that. Back in that time, the betrothal was basically marriage without sex. I mean, they, they, when Joseph gave her, himself to Mary, it was a f commitment to fidelity. It was at that moment when they were betrothed together, he was fully invested in her. There was no, I'm out. And I, from, if, if you're like, 
in today's world, the engagement is like when guys are all in. The marriage is like when the ladies are all in. But at that time, it was like the betrothal was when they were all in together, okay? That's what you have to understand. They were pretty much married, except she's still a virgin. Now, in their engagement, you also see that he is of the house of David. That means that Joseph was a descendant of David. Why is that important? Well, there was something massively important about his lineage, because if you go way back, way, 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 way back, God came to a man named Abraham when Abraham was about 100 years old and made a promise that him and his wife Sarah would have a child named Isaac. Isaac literally means son of laughter because they laughed at God like, if you know biology, this is impossible. Well, he tells him that that son would be the father of the savior of the world. So what you find is that Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son named Joseph, and it goes on and on and on until they had a son named David, and David had a son named Solomon, and it goes on and on and on until Joseph. It's almost like God had the whole thing planned. That's what you should see here, that Jesus comes from the lineage of Abraham, that the promise made thousands of years ago was being fulfilled right here in this moment. And the virgin's name was Mary. Again, really important. She was a virgin. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right, what I want to do now is I want to show you a couple ways based on what Mary has said that we should actually respond to the Christmas story. Here's number one. We should respond with our mind. We should respond with our mind. Here's what I mean. I'm not naive to the fact that the Christmas story is a huge miracle. I mean, we're talking about God's spirit putting a baby into a virgin peasant girl in the middle of Nazareth, and that's where the baby would be born to be the savior of the world. Oh, and by the way, in order for that to happen, for the, for the fulfillment of this to happen, he would have to move Caesar Augustus to, for some reason, make a census to move Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem for that baby to be born at the perfect time to be registered in their hometowns. Like, I get it. It seems crazy. But here's the deal. It seemed crazy to Mary, too. Don't jump right past her humanity. I think for many of us, we, we don't realize she was scared. That's what that word troubled means. She was scared. She didn't understand how all this was going to work. All she knew is some, some angel showed up and told her that this was going to happen. Like, did you notice that when the angel comes to, to her, she's freaked out? Listen to what it says. Look at it again. But she was greatly troubled. She's like, what is happening at the saying? And then she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. There it is. She's troubled. And again, can you understand why? Again, put her in the 21st century context. Imagine, I've got two daughters. Uh, some of you have daughters. Imagine your daughter comes home and she's like, Daddy, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. God put this here. Like, imagine that conversation, right? Like, whoa, whoa, time out. Or Joseph, her betrothal was like, he could have had her killed. Like, that would have been totally legal. He could have divorced her. He could have had her killed uh, for adultery, whatever the case might be. She was scared. She was scared. None of this made any sense. The ghost showed up at her door and told her that she was going to be carrying a child. But here's the deal. Read what it says and don't forget this. She wasn't just troubled. She tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. That might be the key to it, all of it. The key to a good lasting, grounded faith is that word discernment. Mary took what was right in front of her, and even though it didn't make any sense to her, she responded by thinking about what the angel said. I think one of the main differences between Mary and many of us is that when things that we come up against in our lives that just don't make any sense to us, we don't take the time to discern them. We just decide that it's unbelievable. Like we're too enlightened for that. There's no way that this could be true. By the way, that doesn't mean that she had it all figured out. She definitely did not have it all figured out. She had doubts. But her doubts brought her back to an investigation of who God was. It brought her back to what she knew about God, to the character of God. Her skepticism didn't lead her to rejection. I love this. Mary doubted. But her doubts led to belief, not rejection. Like, I think we can learn a lot from this. It's okay to doubt God isn't afraid of your doubts. You realize that. He doesn't just want you to blindly believe either. I think one of the most tragic things for most people who have lived in the cultural South, this is where the breeding ground of cultural Christianity came, was blind faith. Just believe it because somebody told you to believe it. That stuff doesn't 
work. At some point, you're going to come up against reality, and when reality sets in, you're either going to have a solid faith with your mind, or you're going to deconstruct your faith because you never really had a faith at all. I mean, that's why Luke wrote the gospel. He wrote the gospel to answer your questions. If you will take the time to take seriously what the Bible says and wrestle with the questions that you have and all your doubts, you will come away with a faith that is so grounded that it can get you through the most difficult times. If you just believe, because that's what somebody told you to believe, it will work in the moment, but one day your naive beliefs will come face to face with reality and they will fall apart. See, Mary discerned what the angel told her and after she did, she believed because that led to a faith that could change the world. Guys, I get that Christmas is crazy and the story doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I get that it's miraculous. But don't buy into the lie that people 2,000 years ago just believed anything that was told to them. They weren't a bunch of Neanderthals that just thought that the world was flat. Like you realize that some of the greatest minds in human history came from antiquity. People were smart. They were rational people. They went through the same things that you went through, and yet they walked away with faith. I think that God is calling us to do the same thing. I think he's calling us to use our minds and then walk by faith. Because at some point, you have to realize that every single one of us lives by faith anyway. Can I give you a quick, easy example of that? When you walked into this room, you decided that these chairs were strong enough to hold you. You, you actually lived by faith. Which, by the way, like, these chairs, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know if I'd, I'd sit in these ones. Like, these were inherited with the building chairs, right? These were like church planter chairs. That's why they look the way that they do. But yet, at some point, your rational mind decided that, hey, that chair is strong enough to hold me. Maybe it was because you saw somebody next to you sit down or because you've sat in it time and time before. But the reality is, is you actually live by faith. And you do it every day in your life. Even if you're a skeptic, your materialism is a faith proposition because at some point, not every question that you have in life is answered. Whether it's your skepticism or your Darwinianism or your materialism or your theology, all of us live by faith. The question is, is which faith makes the most sense? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. I love that. Son of the Most High. It's a super important phrase because it's actually telling Mary that this is going to be a miraculous conception. By the way, I, I, I was listening to an interview the other day of a theologian out of Oxford, and the guy asked him, what do you think about the virgin birth? He goes, I think that's the dumbest phrase ever. It's a virgin conception not a virgin birth. I was like, oh, that's actually brilliant. That has nothing to do with anything other than just wrap your mind around that. Here, here's the point, though, and I don't have a lot of time to dig into this, but the point of Son of the Most High is to show you that Jesus had to be the fulfillment of being fully God and fully man, and he's showing you that this is go how it's going to happen. Again, don't wrap your mind around how miraculous this is. In order for the Savior of the world to be Savior, he had to be fully God. In order for him to be fully God, it had to be a miraculous conception. That embryo inside of Mary's womb that would grow to be a human being had to be put there by God himself. But that's not all. In order for Jesus to be the savior of the world, he had to be fully man too, which is why he was born into the world and didn't just miraculously appear. So, and so this is the beauty of the Christmas story. You see, Jesus was human in every way and yet without sin. That's why Christmas is so amazing. The prophecy goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7, where Isaiah is told that a virgin will conceive a son, and that son's name is Jesus. In his full humanity, Jesus entered the world and experienced everything that you and I will ever experience, and yet because of his full deity, he did it without sin. That means that he can actually save you. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. Guys, the thing that you and I can learn from Mary is that it's okay to ask good questions. God's not afraid of your doubts. 
hear me, he's not afraid of your doubts. Here's the question I have for you. Are you willing, look at me for a second. Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Could you be wrong? That's that's really the question you have to come to. Is do, do you feel like you're at a place where you have it all figured out? Or could you be wrong about some things? Because at the end of the day, it's okay to doubt. The question is, is are you willing to doubt your doubts? Are, are, are you humble enough to say, maybe I got this thing wrong? By the way, here, here's the thing. The Bible is super nuanced in doubts too, and I love this. If you actually go read Luke chapter 1, two people doubt. Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's dad, doubts. And Mary doubts. The difference is, is one person's doubts in some way led to an unbelief, and the other person's led to a belief. So if you go back and you look, when Joseph's dad doubts, it's the angel who makes him be quiet for the entire pregnancy. And every expected mother on the planet said, amen. But Mary's doubts, Mary's doubts led to a belief. It welcomed, it led into God. See, there's a doubt that leads to investigation, and there's a doubt that leads to rejection. Here's my question for you, because I understand that we all have doubts. Are your doubts leading you to rejection, or are your doubts leading you to being open-minded? Could it be true that God really did put a baby inside of the womb of Mary, and that baby became the savior of the world, who sits on the throne of David, who brought down a kingdom that will have no end? I mean, if God created humanity by breathing life into us and speaking and galaxies came into existence, why is it so hard to believe a miraculous conception? Have you ever thought about how miraculous humanity is anyway? Think about it. A single egg inside of a woman's womb becomes a human being. Guys, the Christmas story is really not all that hard to believe when you take a step back and you think about it. By the way, most scholars will tell you that the virgin birth story is so far-fetched and ridiculous because nobody in the first century would have ever anticipated it. That's an important point. It wasn't like, because I hear skeptics tell me, well, maybe just Luke wrote this, you know, 60 years later and made it up to fit the narrative. Nobody thought this was going to happen. Nobody. Matter of fact, it made all their lives harder. People made fun of Mary. They said that Jesus had a demon. They said that Mary was raped. They said that Jesus was a, um, you know, you know that word, I'm not going to say it, but a kid that doesn't have a father, they called him that. Uh, All these things that they called him, here's the point. It was so unbelievable and so hard for the first century disciples that the only reason why you would ever write this is if it was true. The easiest thing you would do is you would just write another narrative that made, like, yeah, he had a good mom, he had a good dad, and he was the savior of the world. That would have made their lives a whole lot easier. The greatest evidence for the Christmas story is how ridiculous the story actually is. You don't make this stuff up. It only makes your job harder. So like Mary, when you read something like this, you have to investigate it and come away with a reasonable faith. Listen, if you connect the dots, the Christmas story actually makes a whole lot of sense. It's not as crazy and far-fetched as you would think it is. So you have to respond with your mind. Here's number two. We respond with our bodies. Listen to what it says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Did you notice that Mary, for Mary, it isn't enough just to believe rationally. She had to take another step, and that step was submission. It was sacrifice. See, the reality is, is it all goes back to that one little phrase. With God, all things are possible. Friends, if you believe that phrase, everything else in the Christian life becomes rather easy. If you don't believe that phrase, everything in life is actually quite difficult. Do you believe that with God all things are possible? Do you believe that God can heal your marriage? Do you believe that God can fix your family? Do you believe that God can cure your disease? Do you believe that all things are possible? This is one of those moments where I want to say, do as I say and not as I do kind of moments. Uh, You'll you'll know why in a second. I'm going to say a point. Um, 
When I was 16 years old, I got a tattoo. Do as I say, not as I do. And by the way, be a better parent than that. Don't let that stuff happen. But on that tattoo, by the grace of God, I got a tattoo of a Bible scripture. And it's Matthew 19, 26. Jesus says, for man, this is impossible, but through God, all things are possible. I kind of feel like I went all in, like Mary did. No, I'm just kidding. She, she sacrificed a lot more. That's kind of like when guys, I, I hear this, guys are like, yeah, we're pregnant. No, you're not. <laughs> She's pregnant. I've been there three times, trust me. She's sacrificing a whole lot more than you are. All right? Anyway, back to the original point. Um, that simple phrase, a simple phrase is the same phrase that has gotten me through the Christian life over and over and over again. With God, all things are possible. And at some point, you had to figure out, do you believe that? For Mary, her response was submission. If you look at verse 38 carefully, she's not saying that she understands everything. She's just saying she's submitting to the question. I mean, the angel, the angel looked at her and says, hey, I know this seems impossible, but God makes the impossible possible. Write that down. The impossible is made possible by God. And that's what the angel told her. And listen to the graciousness of God. Because he doesn't just leave her there. He says, here, here let me reinterpret in the, the Billy Standard version what's happening. The, the angel comes and says, hey, listen. I know this seems impossible. But God loves you so much that he's going to actually show you that it's not impossible. I want you to get on your donkey. And I want you to go find your cousin. Who's too old and could never have a kid. And here's what you're going to find. She's six months pregnant. And when you hear that baby in that womb, John the Baptist, here's what I want you to know, is that's for you, Mary. That's for you to know that the impossible is made possible by God. The question is, do you believe that he can still do the same thing? Because Mary, this peasant girl from middle of nowhere, nowhere in the Middle East, listen, she grew up in a time when God was silent. Do you realize this? So when the angels spoke, it's the first time that they had heard from God in over 400 years. She grew up in a time when God was silent, where the prophets weren't speaking, and they were continually conquered by other nations. She would have been taught by the Pharisees that God would never become a man. That was blasphemy to them. I, I mean, no one would have said this, and none of this made sense. And yet, at some point, she looked at the evidence around her, and she submitted with her entire self. With her body, she was all in. I think the most common reason that most people don't come to faith is because they have deep questions that they don't have answers to. I get that. Can I just be vulnerable with you? There are things in the Bible that don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like I struggle with. Some of the Old Testament passages that I read, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But you know, I don't base my faith on things that don't make sense to me. I base my faith on things that do make sense to me. Right? Here's what I want you to hear me say. That there are reasons to believe and submit to things that you just don't know. Matter of fact, the other day, my, my kids, I take them to school every day, and Emma, my oldest, asked me a question that kind of caught me off guard. She says, Daddy, why did, why did God allow for COVID to happen? You want to talk about a tough question. You know what my answer was? I don't know. I don't know. It's caused so much suffering in this world. I don't know. But I didn't stop there. I said, but Emma, do you know what I do know? I know the character of our God. I know that God didn't abandon this broken world, and that's what Christmas is all about. We have a Savior born in a manger to come and fix that which is broken. I know that God has proven over and over and over again that he has a plan that in the moment doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and yet when we look back, it does make sense. I know that God one day is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more. I know the character of my God. You see, that's where I start. That's where Mary started, and that's where we need to start. We need to start with what we do know. Yes, you, are, you have questions, and you're not going to have all your questions answered. By the way, the Bible says that the secret things belong to the Lord, and if God gave you the answer to every question that you had, do you know what you would not have? Faith. I think it's God's kindness that he doesn't answer all of our questions because it draws you to dependence, which means you actually get more of him. And if he answered every question that you have, you know what, you would reject him just like Adam and Eve did. Because you would essentially become your own God. Here's what I do know. Even if you're not a Christian, here's what you need to know. Because every historian, whether you're a Christian or not, agrees with this. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus who really was born in Galilee. And that man was crucified. And then quickly after his death, a religion started 
with thousands of people who started worshiping this crucified Savior and made claims that they saw this man rose, risen from the dead. You realize historians will tell you that faith like this just don't come out of nowhere. You have to make an account for something like that. And I think the most rational account, and the most rational thing you can do with that is just to simply believe the claims of the Bible. To believe that Jesus really is who he said that he is. To believe that who the angel said Jesus is, is who he said that he is. That Jesus is the son of the most high. And he will sit on, he does sit on the throne of his father David. And his kingdom will have no end. Jesus really is holy and nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. So like Mary, you have to decide, are you willing to look at the claims of the Bible? Are you willing to decipher them? And then are you willing to go all in with the information that you do have? Are you willing to submit to what you know? Christmas is an invitation to take a step towards the king. And listen to me, even if you're not ready to go all in, just do something. Just do something. Just don't sit idly back doing nothing. Join a small group. Take some time to read the Bible. Do something, because here's what I know. God always meets you in those places. Think about it. Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned and they're sitting in their despair, that's where God meets them. Moses, Moses, whenever he, he's in the worst part of his life, running away into the wilderness, God meets him there. Paul, Paul on the Damascus Road, the, the terrorist who's going to terrorize the church in the depth of his despair, that's where God meets him. Listen to me, God's not waiting for you to have your stuff together. He will meet you in the valley. I'm just so confident if you will do something, God will answer your question. I see it happen all the time. And if he doesn't have an answer for you, he'll give you the faith to just keep walking. Here's number three. Respond with your soul. We have to respond with our soul. After all this, after the angel departs, after Mary goes and visits her, um, her cousin Elizabeth, it's almost like she sits there and she works through all of it and then she writes one of the most beautiful Christmas songs ever written. If you are, come from a Catholic background, they call this the Magnificat. Um, we don't talk about this in Protestant churches much, but in, in our language, the third word is magnify. Now in Latin, that's actually the first word and the Latin word for magnify is magnificat. That's where we get the Mary's song. So this is the Magnificat that we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at Mary's song, all right? Look at what she says. It's almost like a psalm, P-S-A-L-M. And here's how she begins. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's like Mary's putting the whole thing together. She takes time to think about the claim, then she submits to God, and that all leads to worship. That's how you have to respond, is you respond in worship by giving God your soul. Now, Hear what I'm saying, and I'm going I'm to show you this in a couple weeks. Worship is more than just singing songs. Worship means you go all in with God. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, and again, we're going to look at this in a couple weeks. Your spiritual act of worship is giving yourself all the way to God. And, and the soul is the seat of your entire being. And matter of fact, there, there is no dualism here. There's no body and soul. They, they go together. So when Mary gave Jesus her body, the natural next step was to go all in with her soul. So she uses this poetic repetition to show you it right here. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That word soul and spirit, they're the same. She's saying the same thing twice. And then she says, in God, my Savior. I love this because she shows you the character of God and who God is. So who is God? God is a Savior. God is a Savior. You see, in some traditions, in some traditions, they like to make the claim that Mary was perfect. She's born without sin or she became sinless. Well, the reality is, is according to Mary, that's not possible because if you're perfect, you don't need a savior. And that's exactly who this baby is in her belly. He's the savior of the world. As John the Baptist will say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me just ask you this. Do you, like Mary, recognize your need? Because here's the reality is, the only people that have a savior are those who recognize that they need a savior. So my question for you is, do you recognize that you need a Savior? Because I'm just telling you, you will never go all in with God if you don't recognize your need for God. The, the first thing he is, is he is a Savior. But then the second one, and this is so beautiful, listen to the, pro, the personal descriptor. He's not just a Savior, he's my Savior. See, that, that means that God's not too distant, that he cannot hear you. And yet, as you're about to see, he's not too weak, that he cannot save you. 
He is both personal enough to want to be your Savior and mighty enough to be able to be your Savior. He is your Savior. Friends, He is your Savior. Let that sink in for just a second. He's my Savior. Maybe just even in your own mind, you say that to yourself. Say, He's my Savior. Guys, at some point you have to be willing to say that. You have to take him in personally. You have to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and that's what we've been trying to do with all of Advent. So the first week of Advent, I showed you John chapter 1, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. That over 300 prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled in his life. And then last week, I showed you in Luke chapter 2, that not only is he the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, but Jesus came to turn the entire world system upside down. When all of us were expecting a king, we got a baby born in a feeding trough. When the birth announcement came, it didn't come to the dignitaries, it came to the shepherds. And I told you last week, shepherds were the lowest of all society. Matter of fact, they were so low that in the court of law, their testimony would not even be considered valid. Why would you ever make an announcement of a king like this? Well, you do it because that's how it happened. So you have to get to the point where like Mary, you decide, is Jesus really the Savior, and then is he my Savior? Now watch what happens when you come to that point. Watch what happens when you give your whole self to God in worship. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's what happens. Worship leads to humility. By the way, isn't that, isn't that statement, put it back up for a second. Isn't that statement true? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Mary. A peasant girl from the middle of nowhere in Nazareth that nobody cared about, nobody knew, and yet we still talk about her. All generations call her blessed. Guys, I think Mary is sitting there as she's writing this psalm, and she's like, none of this makes sense. God, I can't believe that you would take a servant girl like me to change the course of history. You know why that's important? Watch this. Just because you don't have a baby in your womb that's going to be the savior of the world doesn't mean that God's not choosing to use you to change the course of history too. He has implanted this gospel message inside of the minds of every single Christ follower. And when you share that gospel, when you share that good news of the Christmas story with people around you, you have the ability to change their eternities. In the same way, there needs to be a humility, a humility that comes over all of us. God, I can't believe you would choose me. I can't believe you would choose me, and I can't believe you'd choose me to change the course of somebody else's eternity. That's what Christmas makes possible. Christmas makes possible the reality that people's lives can be changed. And by the way, don't miss how amazed Mary was that God chose her. That's the most humbling part. God took a teenage, unwed peasant girl from the middle of nowhere to change the course of history. And I think at that moment, I think at that moment, she thought to herself, everything that she'd ever learned, like none of this seemed possible, that God's promises made to the nation of Israel were going to come true, that he was going to fix the broken world and he was going to use me to do it. The other day I saw a painting and um, I wish I'd have taken a picture of it. Um, and the older I get, the more I appreciate the beauty of art. And, and this picture was a, was a picture of Eve. And she had a snake wrapped around her leg. And then Mary was standing next to her. And Eve was crying. And she put her hands on Mary's belly. And the, the, the depiction was that the baby in her womb was going to come to fix all that broke this world. Do you realize? Do you realize that that's what we give to worship? It's not just a cute story about a baby in a manger. It's about God fixing everything that we have broken. Maybe today you're sitting there and you need a rescue. Listen, God came to give you a rescue. Maybe today you're sitting there thinking, yes, my life is broken. God came to give you wholeness. See, obviously we aren't Mary, but God's son was brought into the world to save you, to rescue and redeem you, to change your eternity. Listen to me. You are not an accident. It's all been planned out. Every bit of it was intentional. Now, let me, mind, let me blow your mind really quickly. At least it blew mine. I hope it blows yours. Just like Mary, when you became a Christ follower, or when you become a Christ follower, God puts himself inside of you too. 
See, the Christmas story wasn't just that 2,000 years ago God was going to bring a baby into the world through a virgin birth. The Christmas story is even today God is going to change your eternity by putting himself inside of you to make you into an entirely new person. That's the amazing part about it. Isn't that amazing? The greatest gift of all is not just for 2,000 years ago. The greatest gift of all is that every single person on the planet who decides to believe in Jesus as the Messiah gets God himself inside of them to give them new birth too, if you believe it. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's, that's her concluding statement. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That means that at some point, if the Christmas story is true, God has to be mighty. He has to be our king, and he has to be worthy of our worship. Just the other day, I was reading a book by Tim Keller on Christmas, and I just want to quote for you what he said. I think it's so incredibly good that I want to quote it for you. Listen to this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, was not more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from earth to the nearest star would be the stack of papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of papers over 300 miles high. And keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than can be numbered. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains on the seashore. Now listen to this. Now if Jesus Christ holds all of this together with just the word of his power. Is he the kind of person that you just ask to be your personal assistant? Here's what he's saying. If the Christmas story is real, then God is mighty and he's holy. Holy means that he is set apart. He is otherworldly. He is so perfect and magnificent that he can't even have anything to do with our corruption. It would be like tissue paper touching the surface of the sun. That's what his holiness is like. And he who is holy and he who is mighty did not come to be our consultant. He came to be our king. He is the mighty king and he deserves our worship. That was Mary's conclusion. Mary's conclusion to her song is that Jesus Christ is mighty and he's the king and he is holy. So here's what she does. She ends her song by giving you this picture of what Christmas does. Because he's king, he levels the playing field for all of us. Look at what it says. And the mercy, and his mercy, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You know what I love about this? Verse 50. That promise isn't just for you. It's for generation to generation. It's for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. You know, I told my kids, my past, if you've been around City Church at all, is um, my past is a past of drug addiction and abuse and family lineage that goes back to atrocities. But I told my kids, because of Jesus, your future will be different. I hope that thousands of years from now, you see that when they pull up their Ancestry.com or whatever they do, it'll probably be like in their minds at that point, um, they look back and they can pinpoint it to that moment. They can, hey, at 16 years old, my great, 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 great grandfather heard the gospel, became a Christian, and because of that, his kids started following Jesus, and their kids started following Jesus, and their kids started following Jesus, and for generations and generations, because of Jesus' faithfulness to them, everything changed. That's the promise. His mercy is that he doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you what you don't deserve. How many of you know people like that? When somebody smacks you in the face, metaphorically speaking, you turn around and give them a gift. Aren't you glad God's not like you? Aren't you glad that God is gracious and he's merciful, that he can change your eternity and he can change the trajectory of your family? I kid you not, people told me that your, my life would not be like it is today. They told me that you had no way out and none of this would be possible and yet here I am today. And it's not because of me or anything that I did. It wasn't human intuition, it is the grace of God. That's who our God is. He levels the playing field. He makes the impossible possible. Verse 51 and he has shown strength with his arm. There it is. He just, he is strong enough to do it. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. By the way, do you know what strength is? Here's what, here's what true strength is. Strength is not always having to retaliate. Strength is love. I love the way Martin Luther King Jr. said it. You've probably heard this quote a million times. Here's what he says. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I'm pretty convinced, and I know we have a long way to go here in America, but I'm pretty convinced we are where we are because of a man like that. Because he didn't fight back, he loved, and love cuts deeper than anything imaginable. That's what your king did. 
You know, people expected Jesus to be strong, to be a king, to be born in a palace. He was born in a manger. People expected Jesus to go overthrow Rome, and he could have done that, and it would have shown a lot of temporal strength. But he had something greater than that. He came to die so that he could show you a loving power that can change history. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those who have humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to, the offspring, and to his offspring forever. And then Mary remained there three more months. If you do the math, he, she went to Elizabeth in her sixth month. Three more months, she stayed until John the Baptist was born. And then she returned home. Do you see the kind of God the Christmas story brings forth? The kind of God that Mary couldn't help but sing to. Here, here's the key. Here's the key to giving God your entire being. You ready for it? Write this down. Mary understood the, the God she worshipped. Do you understand the God you worship? Like Mary, her God was big enough and mighty enough to make all of her problems seem small. Mary based her faith not on her feelings, but on the greatness of her God. He's the God that the Old Testament describes as El Roy, the one who sees. He's the God that the Old Testament describes as Jehovah Jireh, the one who can heal. As A.W. Tozer said, and I love this quote, listen to what A.W. Tozer says, a, lot, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we have such a hard time believing is because we don't see our God as mighty. Maybe you have bought into the idea that God can't see you, that God can't hear you, that you're not good enough for God. I'm sure Mary felt that way too. I'm sure Mary felt that way. I'm sure she thought that God couldn't see a woman in the first century to accomplish his plans. I'm sure Mary had dreams. Mary had dreams like every other teenage girl. And she knew that in that moment in time, it was all going to change. She wasn't going to grow up, and she wasn't going to have the life that everybody thought you should have in suburban America, where you just kind of grow up, and you go to college, and you get a PhD, and then a good, great job. She was like, no, I'm a pregnant teenager that's going to end up on MTV, right? Listen, I'm sure she knew. You think about, I, I mean, this is where my mind goes. Her 10th anniversary with Joseph. And they're sitting around the table and they're eating their kosher meat with all their friends and they're celebrating their 10th anniversary. And Jesus, because he's really smart, was like, but mommy, I'm only, I'm only nine. And everybody's like, awkward. Like, oh, I'm sure she knew that that was going to be her entire life. It's not easy. It impacted every bit of her life. The Christmas story was hard. And it will impact your life too. But it's worth it. It's worth it because the impossible is made possible by God. You know, my, my son, um, he still thinks I'm a superhero, which let me hang in there for just a little while longer because I love it. Like, he thinks I can do anything. Matter of fact, my, all my kids do for some reason. So we'll be going to school, and um, they'll ask me 400,000 questions because they talk all the time. And then I'll, I won't know the answer to one of them. They'll be like, but, Daddy, I thought you knew everything. And then I'm like, oh. so I got to make something up, and we got to move on. And one day they're going to find out I'm a fraud. Well, this summer, I was in Utah with my son, and um, we got on a ski lift. And if you know anything about me, I'm deathly afraid of heights. Um, and so is he. So we get on the ski lift. We're in Utah at Snowbird, and I'm shaking. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do. So he, he, Elliot looks over at me. He says, Daddy, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. Not, you know, not really, but we're going to be fine. And I looked at him, and I said, like, are, are you okay? And he says, yeah, Daddy because you'd never let anything bad happen to me. And I was like, oh. You know what he does? Because I'm so big in his mind, because I'm such a superhero in his mind, everything else seems small. That's the way that God wants you to view him too. When God's big, all your problems seem pretty small. If God is mighty, you don't look at your circumstances, you look at your God, because nothing is impossible with God. Do you realize the Christmas story is there to give you hope? give you hope in the middle of uncertainty. This is how God sees you. Hope. God is so big. He's big enough to protect you. He's big enough to save you, and he's big enough to give you a future. It's hope. 
that even when the systems of the world are stacked against you and this meritocracy myth of our culture takes over and, and you look at the people around you and because they're born into wealth and generational success and you think that nothing will work for you, the Christmas story is that God has turned the world upside down. It's hope. It's hope that there's a salvation that's giving out of pure grace to anybody who will receive it. It's a hope that says that you don't have to be born in the right time or the right place or have the right ethnic background because Revelation chapter 7 says that one day all of us will stand around the throne of God from every tribe, tongue, and people and that God loves everyone because he gives you grace that's unmerited. It's a hope that says that no matter what gender you are, you are equal at the foot of the cross. It's a hope that God keeps his promises. You see, a couple thousand years ago, God promised Abraham that he would fix this broken world. And the Christmas story is God making good on his promises. And what you and I are supposed to do is you're supposed to go back to that moment in time every single time that your life seems uncertain, and you're supposed to say, yes, God, yes, God. I go back to the end of that, and I can see that you are faithful and good. And even when I can't see you, I know that you are doing great things. See, at the end of the day, history is an arc that's leading us somewhere, and the Bible is telling us it's leading us back to the beginning, back to a new creation. It's showing you that God has something good in store for us. I'm going to show you this next week, but write this down. Christmas is the reversal of all the mess that this world has made. Did you notice in Mary's song that everything is in the past tense? Go back and look at it. He who is mighty has done great things for me. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry. He has helped the servant. You get the point? Here's what Mary's saying. The world has created a system that benefits the social elites and the proud and those who cut corners, and yet God is bringing everything back to the way that it was always supposed to be. That your king didn't come as a social elite. He came as a baby born in a manger, not in a palace. See, in God's kingdom, the humble will be exalted. The outcast will be brought in. The moral will prosper. The hungry will be fed. Even the gospel story itself is one of humility. Listen to me. The gospel story is this. Anybody can come. Anybody. You just have to be humble enough to say you don't deserve it. If you're anything like me, I don't like receiving gifts. Like when you give me a gift, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because there's something inside of me that says, no, I didn't earn that. Like, I need to go do it myself. Or, like, when you, I'm just telling you, everybody, hey, I know you're sick. Can I, can I buy you a meal? Not us. We're, we're pooping it. No. The reality is, is, at the end of the day, we do that because there's a sense in which our pride kicks in. You know what the Christmas story is? It's kind of a slap in the face to your pride. Jesus says, you can have all of this. The only thing you need to bring to the table is your humility to say that I need a savior. If you want the Christmas story, it's there for you. It's just for the humble. Look at verse 53 again. Listen to what he says. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You know what he's talking about here, right? This goes back to Matthew chapter five where Jesus says, the poor in spirit are those who will receive the kingdom of God. Are you humble enough to recognize in God's kingdom you're poor and needy? Because if you are, you have living water that will change your eternity. Are you humble enough to receive the gospel? Are you poor enough to need the gospel? Will you come to Jesus and let him feed you with his grace? Christmas is the greatest reversal of this broken world. See, earlier I told you that Emma asked me, why did God allow for COVID to happen? You know, the answer is, is God's going to fix it. Like I told Emma, when sin entered the world, it wasn't just that bad things came into the world, it's that the entire world was broken. Which means that when Jesus entered the world, he didn't just come to help you do good things, he came to fix you and to fix this world. That's Mary's point. That's the prophecy. One day God is going to fix this broken world. All of it is inverted. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, get as much as you can for me and only me. It's supposed to be, humble myself to lift each other up. And here's the offer of Christmas. It's a song. It's a song with one word, and it's a song that if you will sing it, it will change everything. 
You ready? Jesus. 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 The beauty of that song, the beauty of that one word is it has the power to change everything. What if today was the day that you sung that song? What if today was the day that you said, God, I will follow you, even if it costs me everything? And you realize, you realize that it cost Mary everything? She was already low, and she became even lower. This teenage girl who bore the Savior of the world didn't make her life any easier. It cost Mary. But think about what she gained. Think about what she gained. She gained... 2,000 years, people talking about her. She gained being the mother of the Savior. She gained eternity. And I think that that's the same invitation of this song. It's the great reversal. It's the humble will be exalted. The first will become last. The needy will be fed. It's the undeserving will receive the kingdom of God because the king did the unthinkable. So yes, it might cost you something, but how great a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who gave us all things Yes, you might give something, but that baby who lived in that manger, he humbled himself to give you life. So Christmas, Christmas essentially is an invitation. For the last time in this Advent season, I want us to come to the table together with him and take communion. That's what Christmas essentially is. It's, it's coming to the table. It's receiving the gift of our King. See, what this is, by the way, if you're not a Christ follower, I want you to look at this and examine with us what we're doing. What we're basically doing is we're confessing that the Christmas story is real, that we are receiving the greatest gift. What this represents is humility. What it represents is a gift. The greatest gift ever is the Savior wrapped in humanity. That's why the womb and the tomb go together is because the humanity of your Savior is what gives you life. So when Jesus stepped into this world in the lowest of estates, he lived your perfect life and then died your death in the lowest of estates, tortured as a criminal. But let that not be the end of the story. He rose from that grave three days later in order to defeat death and give you life for all of eternity. The miraculous made possible for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to worship him like Mary. I want you to consider this with your mind like Mary. I want you to give Jesus your body and your soul like Mary. And then I want you to take and receive the greatest gift ever given for you. So take and eat. And then take the blood of Jesus that was spilled to make you clean. Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave us a new song. A song that's sung over us and a song that changes us. A song that gives life. Thank you for Mary's example. I pray that you would help us to sing that same song with our lives. I pray that you would help us to recognize our need and to give us life. In Jesus' name.